0: If you are going to do a podcast, you need to be able to prioritize preparing for the show. I think a lot of people think I can speak English, therefore I can do a podcast. Sorry, that's not what interviewing is. That's not what hosting a quality show is. That's problematic, wouldn't you say? Welcome to the
1: Sports Business Radio podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio podcast over 13 years, 400 episodes featuring conversations with people like Mark Cuban, David Stern, Jeannie Buss, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, and Kyrie Irving on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're ranked in the top 100 of the business news podcast section on iTunes. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. This week's show is a bit of a departure from our normal content, but I think you'll find informative and helpful information. Podcasting growth is up 23% year over year and approximately 57 million Americans now listen to podcasts according to Ad Age. Today, You'll learn the art of podcasting with the host of one of the most popular podcasts on iTunes, Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm. Jordan Harbinger is a Wall Street lawyer turned talk show host, social dynamics expert, and entrepreneur. How do you find your target audience? How can you authentically engage with your audience while leaving them with tangible takeaways? How do you monetize your podcast and find the right sponsors? How can you use your podcast to activate your other businesses? How can you form authentic relationships? On the Art of Charm podcast, Jordan Harbinger interviews successful people from all walks of life and deconstructs their habits into easy, practical steps any entrepreneur can use to lead a better life. The Art of Charm podcast consistently ranks in the top 50 podcasts on iTunes and is the number one podcast in their category with over 3 million downloads per episode. The Art of Charm business grosses eight figures per year. Jordan Harbinger joins me now. You can find him online at theartofcharm.com or on Twitter at theartofcharm. Jordan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for making the time.
0: Yeah, glad to be here, guys.
1: So let's start with your background. You've got this really interesting background. You went to the University of Michigan, and you started practicing law, but then that didn't work out, and you moved into podcasting, and you moved into podcasting at a time where it was just in its infancy Walk us through kind of the start of your transition from being a lawyer on Wall Street to being a very successful podcaster.
0: Yeah, so when I got hired on Wall Street, it was, well, I guess I'll back up the truck. When I was in high school, I kind of coasted basically just like, oh, this isn't that hard, and some people are smart and some people aren't, and I can kind of coast and do the bare minimum like most students want to do, and I'll be good. And that worked. And then I got into college, and everybody was equally smart kind of at that point, or more or less, I should say. And my competitive advantage shifted from being smart enough to wing it on an exam to being able to outwork everyone because they were drinking their face off, and I would sit back and study. (laughs) And then I went from that through law school. that, That was kind of the same thing. People, I guess, you know, even then people were even smarter, but some people had kind of said, screw it, I'm so smart, I never have to do any work or I can go hang out. This is my last chance before I hit the working world. And then those people, I could outwork them as well. And then when I got to Wall Street, it was like, hey, everyone's smart. And everybody is not only smart, but everybody is a hardworking SOB. So I lost my competitive advantage. And one of the people who'd hired me, a mentor, if you will, his name was Dave, and he was never in the office. And HR basically made him take me out for coffee and... I asked him why he was never in the office. You know, do you work from home? Because I figured if I can get that set up, maybe people won't figure out that I don't belong (laughs) here and I'll I'll last longer. I won't get fired as fast as I would have. And he said, no, you know, I don't work from home. I bring in the deals that you guys are seeing here in the real estate department. You know, I make friends with people and hang out with these investment bankers and develop relationships for the firm. And I thought, what are you talking about? You, You develop relationships for the firm Dot dot dot. We make money, and so his valuable time, basically, as you know, lawyers make money billing in six minute increments. Right. His time was more valuable outside the office than inside the office, and this is a Wall Street firm, so we're talking about eight hundred dollars, a thousand dollars an hour, where what these guys were billing out, and his time was more valuable somehow outside the office. So, doing the math on a million dollar law deal. I kind of thought, well, wait a minute, you must be making upwards of $10,000 an hour, depending on how long it takes you to bring in a deal. That seemed very appealing to me, because he didn't have to worry about his billable hours bonus. He wasn't even there at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, let alone 2 a.m. on a Sunday, which a lot of people were. And that, for me, was a big, a big eye-opening experience to change the way that I look at work forever, because if... I'm not the smartest guy in the room, and I'm not going to be able to outwork everyone. I'm going to get fired unless I can start working on these networking skills, these soft skills, what we call social capital skills. If I can work on those, by the time everybody else at this law firm realizes they need those skills to make partner or to stay involved at the firm, I'm going to have a five-year leg up, or four years, or three years, or however long the runway is on people figuring this out for themselves. So I threw myself in hard into the soft skills department and that's what became the art of charm
1: how the name the art of charm why why that title that you've used on not only your podcast you have boot camps which we'll talk about in a minute but how'd you come up with that title
0: Uh, my mom did actually the title that i came up with earlier was some sort of weird (laughs) i don't even know it was just like i don't even remember what it was but i remember her asking me to spell it involved the word charismatic and i was like. She goes, spell that. And I did, and then she goes, ask your business partners to spell that. And they kind of were like, uh... And then she thought, yeah, if you guys who are college-educated and have grad school under your belts had to think about it, imagine what everybody else was going to do. And I thought, good point. She goes, just come up with a temporary name like Art of Charm, and then you can think of something better later. And that was 11 years ago.
1: That is funny. Oh, my gosh. And now uh, it's a great brand for you. And like I said, you use it not only on your podcast, which gets according to your website, 3.4 million downloads per week. It's one of the most popular podcasts on iTunes. But you run the Art of Charm boot camps as well. And Jordan, one of the things I'm really impressed with what you've done is you've tied all of these businesses that you have together, and they all have this synergy, and they scratch each other's back. And from what I read, you're, you're grossing eight figures a year, so you're doing something really smart. But Maybe talk to us about that synergy using your podcast to promote your boot camps and and vice versa.
0: Sure. So what what exactly do you mean? How we use the show to promote the live training?
1: Yeah, the live training. And when, you know, your podcast, I hear about the boot camps and you go to the website and you can learn more about the boot camps there. I, I think... You know, there's some people that may just listen to your podcast, but then there's others that listen to the podcast and go, you know what, I want to sign up for the boot camp too. I want that extra uh, work on myself.
0: Yeah, sure. So what we do with the show is we essentially, and pardon me if I'm answering the wrong question, what we do with the show is I interview the most amazing people that I can, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson, General McChrystal, Mike Rowe, um, David Eagleman is a neuroscientist, things like that, and... We try to get their superpowers down on paper, so to speak. So I want to ask these brilliant people about their actions, their thoughts, and their habits, and then have them teach their mindset to the AOC audience. And so the way that the show sells our live programs is we don't say, here's this big promise, here's another big promise, here's another big promise. It's like, look, if you are learning things from these people in these interviews, imagine what you will be able to apply for yourself when we're teaching it to you. So the boot camps do a really great thing in that they filter in action takers and people that actually care about applying this stuff. And that's been really great for the company because I think a lot of sort of weird self-help seminars and stuff, they rely on people never really applying anything but just feeling like they need more, whereas AOC filters in people who really want to apply this stuff to their lives. And that's been super, super useful for us, because as a coach and as a teacher, you really want people in your classes who are going to use this stuff so they become living examples of what you know can be done, and then they become walking referral machines, and that's been very, very useful i I think for us, you know just having people apply what they hear on the show does more than the best sales copy ever could
1: no, I agree i mean the the thing that is the, my favorite takeaway from your podcast. I think you're an excellent interviewer. I know you've been called the the Charlie Rose of podcasting, and and we'll get to that in a minute. But I really like that every time I listen to one of your podcasts, I have at least three to five tangible takeaways that can be immediately applied to to life. And I think that is valuable valuable information. My two favorite. Uh, interviews that you've done. You know, I work in, in sports here. So Shaquille O'Neal, I thought was great. I tweeted about that. That's how I think we got involved with uh, starting a conversation. But his panel of five was brilliant. I was like, wow, we all need a panel of five in our life, don't we? And then my other interview that I loved with uh, Susan Kane, the author of the book quiet and she discusses the difference between introverts and extroverts. And I went and read her book after I heard her on your podcast and what a fascinating read that was. So I really like that. You talk to people who are at the top of their industry and they have those amazing takeaways after every podcast.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think it's key to have practical takeaways. I don't know how it is for you, but for me, If I listen to something and I can't do something differently, I feel like I've largely wasted my time unless it's just that entertaining. Right. I don't watch comedy so I can learn how to do something better. Right. But if I'm listening to something like Art of Charm, I better come away with something I can apply or I'm going to be kind of annoyed at the end of the day. And so I want to make sure there's plenty there. I think a lot of shows, what they do is they try to inspire and then they just leave it at that. And inspiration is pretty cheap. You can get it anywhere these days. And people who are really high performers, they don't really need to be inspired to get ish done, right? They're, they're getting up in the morning and doing stuff. They just need a little bit of guidance or some hacks to do things a little bit better or to hear from people who are really killing it so they can adopt some of those mindsets. So we're trying to cater specifically to that community I think there's a lot of people who run like these entrepreneur podcasts or I should say wantrepreneur podcasts where it's all about look at your potential it's so great wish it want it do it dream it build it whatever and it's like yeah that's great if you're selling to 21 year olds who are like I don't want a real job I want to be an entrepreneur that's great but I don't I care far less about serving that audience than I do about people who are maybe doing amazing things already and they want more and that shines through when you see, when I see fan mail come in from like the captain of the LA Kings hockey team, or I'll reach out to somebody and their agent will say, "Oh yeah, we were listening to your show in the bus on the way from the airport, you know, to summer summer training camp." And I'm thinking, "Holy crap, the freaking Orioles are listening to the show, or the right. USA wrestling <laughs> team is listening to the show." That means far more to me than. Somebody else is listening to the show because they really don't want to have to go work for their dad because he's mean, you know, or he makes them do real work. So that's what ma- that's the audience we're trying to serve. And that audience wants actionable advice. They don't need more entertainment. How
1: long after you started your podcast did you figure out that this is the audience that is listening and this is the audience that you're trying to serve?
0: Well, it was pretty much right away, because I was just creating the show for myself at some point, and that was extremely important to me, because a lot of, there's a lot of thought that goes into, well, you know, I've got to figure out how to brand this, and I've got to follow my consumer, like, follow the customer, and do what the customer wants, and it's, that becomes really hard, because you can start doing something that is really what your customer wants, but so far away from what you're interested in that you lose any passion whatsoever for doing yeah. the show itself. And that's a problem. And so I'm constantly kind of fighting with my marketers because they're like, well, we want to do shows that really cater to the people who are the demographic for our products. And my thoughts are, no, we should be making products that cater to the demographics of the show, not the other way around. Because if, if we were catering to the demographic of our product, I'd be doing the same thing I was at age 37 right now that I was doing at age 24, which would make me want to jump off the nearest, skysc- you know, the nearest building. And I don't really want to do that because I think that that's a quick way to get burned out in your work. And I-, I can't think of anything more pathetic than some talk show host interviewing the same people because you've got to sell some ebook that you haven't changed in 11 years. That's kind of sad. So for me, I want to continually have our products and services evolve with what the show has, which is what we're interested in, which means constantly leveling up. It's just it's a lot more work to do that, but I think it's important.
1: Let's talk about that, though. I want to follow up on that. Monetizing a podcast. There's a lot of people that listen to our podcast, I'm sure your podcast, and they're trying to play in that space. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 57 million Americans are now listening to podcasts, according to AdAge podcast listening was up 23% last year. So, you know, there's some people that are podcasting that are in their basement in their underwear. There's other people that are really smart people like you and others who are adding some great value to people's lives. And they're wondering, how do I monetize this? And I've noticed with your podcast, you started with some of the, you know, smaller sponsors, but now Home Depot is an advertiser. How has that uh, transformed over time for you?
0: The sponsors? Yeah, the sponsors. Yep. Sure. So back in early days, there was no such thing as a podcast sponsor. So, you know, that sort of started slowly. And I remember early, a few years ago, just maybe four years ago or so, I remember ad agencies not returning our emails. And I thought, this is so annoying. Come on. They're not returning our emails. This is irritating. And now um, I specifically tell... Many ad agencies and sponsors know on a daily basis. So it's, now it's raining like crazy because ad agencies have finally figured out that podcasts are real media. Before, I think it was like, oh, these things are stupid. No one's ever going to want to deal with any of these. So I, and, of course, I purposely give those agencies higher pricing because <laughs> I want them to know I that love they could have gotten in early. Uh no, I'm not really that vindictive, but I, I do I do mention things like they'll they'll it was funny. The other day somebody wrote me from an agency that I'd been trying to get a hold of for like 5 years uh back in the day and they were like, "Hey, we noticed you have this." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'll deal with this later. I was on my friend's boat relaxing." And then they wrote back, "You're you're going to miss out on this deal." And I wrote back something like I'm not going to miss out on this. There's always another one. And I'll remind you that I've sent this agency at this address maybe three dozen emails in the past few years, and you didn't have any time. So you can go through our particular agent who's going to take a cut of your cut, and you can give us any deals that you want. Don't send me an email directly again. And they were really irritated by that because they wanted us to just jump when they said jump. And I thought, the market has changed so much that now the power is no longer in the hands of the agencies. It's really in the hands of the properties. And it's great because the properties are owned by the content creator now. So we don't have to put up with the same way that those people always wanted to do business, which is knock on our door and maybe if we're feeling like it that day, we'll finish our coffee and an intern will answer your email and make you jump through hoops. Now the, the content creators own the properties and that's been great because if you have a show on CNN and you don't like the sponsor, tough Kishka, you're out, you're out of luck. That's right. your sponsor. Now though, if I don't like a sponsor, I just say I'm not really crazy about your product, and then they go, well, you know, we're going to advertise on a competitor, and I go, great, go ahead. They obviously don't care about their brand if they're going to put your crappy watch on their show because this thing is a piece, you know. And it's really nice to be able to do that. I don't like gambling, for example. So anybody who comes up with a gambling product or something like that or those real estate investment trusts i just tell them look this is a scam i don't want this don't bring me this deal anymore and it's really nice because i think it ups the quality of products that people see because the market's allowed to respond to that it's not just oh well i really need money so buy this watch and we're able we're in a really great place to be able to be more selective with sponsors and i think that's a good thing for customers and it's a good thing for everybody because if you're making bad products you shouldn't be able to sell and survive making a bad product. You should have to come up with a good product. And so I think it's a win-win all around. And that's sort of what, what's been happening with sponsors. And, of course, now content creators that before could never have even paid their rent with, with uh, the ad revenue they're getting. So remember when blogs got advertising and right. you got like five cents a click or two cents a click? <laughs> you know, podcasts are getting 25 bucks CPM or 45 bucks CPM cost per thousand downloads. So, if you've got a show that has two hundred and fifty thousand listeners, you and your team can be living quite well in the you can be one percenters in America if you want to uh, with the ad revenue that comes from that. And that includes being selective with the products that you're showcasing on the show. So it's huge. It's really, really been a changed landscape, and sponsors that before would never, like I said, even answer your email are are now, hey, we'd love to fly you out and, and really convince you that our product is good. And um, it's, it's a really interesting power shift, which I think is good, not, not just because you can be cheaply vindictive, that was a joke, but because it forces people to come up with really great products and services and makes it so that you can survive and, in fact, thrive, live really well without cheapening your brand by advertising some garbage just because you need to pay the bills.
1: Jordan, do you find that... Most of the sponsors that approach you, are they doing it as the company rep, the marketing person, or is it the ad agency that's reaching out and saying, hey, we represent the company that wants to be a sponsor on your show?
0: Definitely a mixture of both. There's a lot of, I just got an email before we talked here, which was a company in Canada that said, hey, our software as a service product, I'm not going to mention them specifically because, uh, I, I don't know, sometimes they might not like that. I didn't ask. That You know, we got a really good conversion from an earlier episode of your show or earlier test of your show that they tested six spots on. We want to buy the whole year. And that's music to my ears, man. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah, we're going to send you a regular check for the entire year based on the performance of that ad. Not you have a large number of people listening. We want access to them. There are a large number of people that heard the ad last time purchased our service. This is a good value for us. They're happy about that, and I don't have to keep selling that ad inventory because they just bought all of it. Super, right? But just, uh, I'd say more common is an ad agency says, hi, we're buying 27 shows with similar demographics as yours. It's for razor blades. Are you in? And it's like, sure, why not? I'll I'll take it. You know, so, so you get campaigns like that more often because brands, as of yet, for some reason, just have not figured out that all they had need to do is have an intern go and in email top podcasters and email directly, and they can save millions of dollars, uh, eventually they'll figure that out. I think ad agencies, for just some reason, still survive, quote-unquote, managing campaigns, and you might need that for television and radio, but, man, for podcasting, it's only a matter of time till they figure out the the idea that look, you can deal directly with the content creator. We prefer it, in fact.
1: I want to talk to you about the art of podcasting. I read that you have hosted a show on, you know, regular radio before. So SiriusXM. I've also hosted this show on radio before. The thing I like po- about podcasting is I don't feel like, oh my gosh, at the 10 minute mark, I got to take a break and I got to end this really good conversation. And it's really hard to have a a meaningful conversation with someone in 10 or 12 minutes. Even if you have them back for a second break, it's 24 minutes. With podcasting, you can have a deeper, more casual conversation. Talk to me about what you like about podcasting versus doing a show on radio.
0: Radio was cool because it was live, and that was always kind of fun, right? Like, hey, I get to take callers. This is really interesting and cool. Um, That's almost the only advantage to radio. You can't say what you want. You gotta mind, be mindful of the time. You get things like ten seconds, and you're like, ah, I'm talking with Shaquille. What do you mean ten seconds, right? The next show is about is a rerun of a car parts you know, show. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so it's it's just it's it sucks to to have that format limitation. And if unless you're on satellite, you gotta watch your language. Your guest has to limit their personality. Uh, because something could happen that's going to violate airwaves because they can't control who's listening and da-da-da. I don't like any of that stuff. I mean, podcasting far surpasses radio. And the other thing is, look, I want to listen to something when I want to listen to it, and that's, that's probably a millennial thing, but I, I grew up watching TV and being like, oh, there's nothing on for another hour. It's just so lame. Or, oh, no, the cartoons are over on Saturday. Now I've got to sit here and watch reruns of Three's Company. This stinks. There's no reason anybody should put up with that anymore. It's so antiquated, that, that way of doing things. Radio's the exact same way. There's something cool about listening to a show live if it's talk. There might be community if you have callers. That's why shows like The Breakfast Club and Howard Stern and, oh, yeah, and not Opie Anthony, but other shows like that, Sam Roberts, You know those guys are killing it, and, and rightfully so. But those shows should also have podcasts because people are going to miss it, and some people don't care if they're listening in real time. They can listen later or they can listen at work when they don't have reception, or they can pause it. It just seems like it's really the, – the format differences are such that there's almost no advantages to radio anymore, in my opinion.
1: No, I agree, and I think it's one of the reasons, you know, the numbers I gave you at the beginning of the show, why podcasting is really exploding in the last few years. The thing that is still interesting, and, and maybe you see different numbers than I do, but, you know, I always laugh at the archaic measurements for ratings with radio, uh, people meters, people, you know, wearing these things around. It's such a small percentage of the population. But even with podcasts, I feel like how are the numbers and the demographics and the analytics around podcasting not better than they are, where we can have better idea of who's downloading, who's listening, how long they're listening, where they are in the world? Do you see that getting better anytime soon? Because I know that's important information that, that sponsors want to.
0: Uh yeah it is important and I assume have you not have you not seen the news uh the Apple podcast app is going to start next year giving us listenable you know list time listen did they skip around did they stop halfway through we're going to get those analytics I did Same not way. I
1: had not seen that that's breaking news here thank you for for sharing yeah. that No that's great yeah cuz i think you know, people who produce podcasts, you sit in a studio like I am right now and you do hear from people on social media. And like you said, you hear from the Orioles listening to your podcast on the team bus. Like those are the great compliments that, Hey, I'm not just in a studio talking to myself with my producer, but you hear the feedback. But I still think you want more as far as the analytics around who's listening to the podcast.
0: Yeah. I, the one really big hole that we've had in podcasting is. You know how many people are downloading each episode, but you don't know anything about who they are, their demographic, nothing. I mean, YouTube has ten billion times more analytics than podcasting does, and for it also, we're going to see a massive downsizing. Like I'm I'm sitting here with my email signature, three point four million downloads. That is going. I'm going to get a reality check when I find out how many people download the show but don't listen to each episode, and I'm fine with that because. Well, my ego is going to be like, wah, but my pocketbook <laughs> is going to say yes, because what's going to happen is all these branding advertisers, branding are the non-direct response advertisers, right? So you get <clears throat> direct response for it's like, blueapron.com slash charm for your first three meals free or whatever. Those people can track how many customers came through that. That's great. Right. That performs well for Art of Charm. But when Toyota says hey, we're going to give you guys 10 spots because, I don't know, we like lighting money on fire and not finding out if there's any result to any of our campaigns because we're a car company, that's great. I love those, too. But the problem is that uh, you don't know. The, the branding companies are basic. we're the last pick for kickball. Um, we're last pick for kickball because they can't find out how many people are listening to it. So even if we get a downsize of, of 20% or something like that, because a lot of people aren't listening to the episodes, it helps construct the media better, which is great. I might know that i got to put the ads in the middle instead of the end, or I might know that I need fewer ads because people are skipping them, or maybe I'll put them all in the front because uh, that's what the sponsor wants, and then that results in people skipping them more. So maybe I don't do that, or maybe i only put one ad spot, whatever. It changes the way we produce the media. But also what it does is it ends up with, more branding sponsors throwing money at it because they go, oh, okay, we know we're going to get 20% of those impressions, so we're going to pay for 20% of the impressions, but at least we can track how many people are hearing about Coca-Cola, so we're going to start advertising on podcasts, which for guys in our position, that's really great because that means we're going to start getting many more sponsors, and you're not just going to hear about Squarespace and Blue Apron all day on every show that you listen to.
1: I want to walk through your process with your podcast. Uh, you seem like someone who puts in a tremendous amount of prep for your podcast. I probably spend three to four hours uh preparing for each guest interview that I'm going to have. I, I think the interview prep is so important to a good conversation. And, and really, for podcasts like ours, that's what it comes down to is the conversation. As I mentioned earlier, you've been called the Charlie Rose of, of podcasting. Walk us through your process of, okay, I've got a show this week. I see that you had an astronaut on your podcast this week. How are you preparing for your podcast each week?
0: Man, uh, let me – okay, so I had Commander Hadfield, who's like a national hero in Canada. And how I prepared for that was I listened to a bunch of interviews that he had done on other shows so that I don't just ask the same questions. And, of course, he tells stories and things like that that, you know, you might not read about online. So I get those, and I can tease those out. And then I read his new book, so I took notes on that, and I put all that into a Google Doc. That's probably, I don't know, 10 hours of prep, maybe a little bit less, eight. Um, Put all those notes in a Google Doc, and then I sat on it for a while. I asked friends of mine if they're interested in him. I've asked people on Facebook what they would want me to ask that guy do those questions in a Google doc. And then the day before the show, I read all of those notes and I ask myself questions about what I'm reading in the notes. And I put those questions that I would ask based on reading the notes into that Google doc. I share that Google doc with my producer. He reads those questions and then asks follow-up questions or questions that he thinks I might've missed. And he puts those in the Google doc. And then I have the conversation with the the guest.
1: That's great. Uh, When I first started, I was not as good at listening. I came in with my prep and my questions that I had to ask and the topics I wanted to cover. And sometimes I didn't listen as well as I should have. So the conversation didn't go organically where it needed to go. When you first started, did you make that same mistake? Have you gotten better as a listener? Were you great as a listener
0: from the beginning? There's no way I ever get to all my questions. It's, I've recorded with people for an hour and a half because there's just so much, and then I go, all right, we're done. Um, there's also times where I have a ton of questions, and then it's like, let me tell you about a story that happened to me a long time ago that I've never told, and my mind is exploding in slow motion, and I'm like, I'm not going to then interrupt him or end this amazing story about floating around in the International Space Station and him playing a guitar you know, song for David Bowie. I'm not going to then go, so... What's your favorite space food? Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> ridiculous. So I just, there's a lot of questions that I go, am over this one, or, and eh, we kind of covered that, or, wow, I asked him something similar, and that answer was super boring, and so we're not using that, so I'm not going to ask the 10 other follow-up questions that I had based on that. Uh, or Or, you know, sometimes the conversation just gets heavy, and it's like, so then my mom died, and that's why I decided to become... Uh, an, an actor, and I'm not going to go. What's your favorite Shakespearean play? You know, or or something like that. Or what's your favorite food to eat while you're on the road? I mean, it just doesn't make sense with the narrative. And my producer often will cut things out because he he'll just go, Hey, you made a joke, and it just sounded so callous that I removed it. And since I removed that joke. The story that he told after that doesn't really make any sense, so I cut that, too, and it just ends up being a part of the narrative, you know, or not being a part of the narrative.
1: Which is the other advantage of podcasting versus live radio, right? You can right. You can splice and yeah, dice. Yeah, exactly. What about, so, exactly. a, again, one of my favorite episodes that you've done, uh, you were with Shaq, and he was sitting in studio with you. The dynamic of the person sitting with you in person versus you have them on the phone.
0: Um, I think in person... It's so, so much better that it, it's kind of hard for me to quantify uh, it being in front of somebody is is great because they can react to your nonverbal communication and vice versa. You can stop them more easily without talking over them, which I think is a problem with phoners a lot of the time. And also, there's just more respect given to the platform. A lot of people can't pay attention for an hour on a phone call. I would imagine Shaq might be one of those people, right? But <laughs> in person, talking with them, it's just like time flies. You're having fun. You're goofing around. You've got this thing going. You're the only thing in their life. But if they're on their phone, someone texts, and they're like kind of replying to that, and they think they're getting away with it, or they get a little bored, and some email comes in, and they're checking that out that's no good. Most guests won't do that, but I find it just for me, it's very hard to stay focused. If, not, if I'm not in front of somebody, sure. I mean, I might have my wife come in and bring me another cup of tea, or I might go, I'm hungry. Uh, where should I eat lunch? Or something might come in on Slack because I forgot to close it, or my phone's vibrating like crazy, and I want to make sure it's not an emergency. None of that stuff happens if I've got somebody in front of me.
1: So it looks like you have a home studio, but you also have like a another studio that you can go to for Guests like Shaq. Is that your setup?
0: Yeah, I've got a home studio, uh, and I've got two studios in L.A. that I can use. And then if I'm on the road, I rent one.
1: Yeah, that's good. Uh, you know, I like being in the studio more than being at home. Uh, I, first of all, I depend the te- on the technology. It's, it's better than my home studio. You've probably got a nicer home studio than I do. But there's also just distractions at home, too. I, I have a 12-year-old and a dog and, you know, any of those things could uh, interrupt an interview pretty easily. Do you find the same distractions from the home studio?
0: Um, Not as much, because I do keep my phone off and face down. A lot of people think, my phone's on silent, I'm good. Yeah, the screen turns on, though, or something, you know, or like this thing goes off, that thing goes off. The computer that I use to record in my home studio doesn't have iMessage. It doesn't have Slack open. The email client doesn't have notifications I didn't install an external email client that has all the crapola buzzing on it. The notification center's turned off. Like, it's just a really different beast. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. Uh, where do you think podcasting
1: will be in five years? You just talked about the, the new app on Apple that's going to give us more analytics. I imagine it's going to continue to become more popular. More people will engage on the platform, but where do you see it going?
0: podcasting is continuing to grow um it's not something i really worry about because of course art of charm grows with the size of the market but it also grows outside the size of the market i think that there's a a weird bubble right now where everybody thinks they need a podcast because they can talk fluently and therefore they should be a talk show host i i'd like to see that die down a little and i'd like to see some better more unique shows showing up instead uh, like the ones we're seeing where people are like, I only tell scary stories, or, I, oh, here's a mystery in my hometown. I'm going to investigate it and create a, a programmer. And that's cool. That stuff is really neat. We're almost going back to old-timey radio drama, which I think is fascinating. Um, I like the idea that there can be more interview shows, but I feel like many people are terrible interviewers. I'm, I'm, and you know this. I mean, I'm preaching in the choir here. There's also a lot of terrible guests that are, Kind of making the rounds, like I can become a thought leader if I go on every podcast. Right. Like, you don't have anything to say. Sit down and get a job. You know, there's a lot of that. <laughs> um, and so there's there's problems with the format because the bar v- barrier of entry is so low. However, if you're good at what you do, it may take a long a, a long time to get noticed. But eventually, you can get noticed if you're really consistent. Is um, this? It's, it's going to require some more marketing chops. But people who are creating really good stuff that's shareable and usable, that stuff is eventually going to rise to the top. And that's one of the reasons that Art of Charm has done so. I mean, we are not that great at marketing. It's just a fact, and it's something we're, we've been struggling with and working on even now. However, what we haven't really been struggling with is creating good content, it's something I've been focused on for a really, really long time. And by the time I decided to focus on creating good content, I'd already been creating mediocre at best content for, I don't know, four or five, six years. And that was a huge advantage, because I already knew how to edit shows, put them up on the web, you know, create a good format, talk, interview, and that's been stuff that I've been focused on working on, it, instead of mailing it in, really focusing on that stuff. So I wish I'd been more sort of you know, head down, nose to the grindstone for the first half of the decade that I was podcasting, but I think also being able to start off slow and do it as a hobby was a real advantage, because... If you start off with something and you do it for five years and you don't really get anywhere, most people would quit. I didn't really quit because I didn't really care. And by the time I did start focusing on it, we were able to take off pretty quickly as a result of that. So when I look at the the show, The Art of Charm, really have been kind of doing it for four years because I really have been focusing on it hardcore for four years, even though the six years before that I had a podcast just, you know. Go listen to an episode that's five years old, and you'll know exactly what I mean. You'll just kind of go, wow, this is the same guy? Ugh. You know, how did anybody listen to this? That's that's what I think anyway.
1: So if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you're saying, gosh, I'm on the fence about doing a podcast or not. So number one, content is king, right? It's got to have good, unique content. What would be two to three other things that you'd say, all right, if you're going to do a podcast, you absolutely need to do these things to be able to be successful?
0: If you are going to do a podcast, you need to be able to prioritize preparing for the show. I think a lot of people think, I can speak English, therefore I can do a podcast. Sorry, that's not what interviewing is. That's not what hosting a quality show is. And a lot of other folks think, like, oh, I can hire out editing. Well, yeah, you can hire someone to cut out the occasional sneeze and trim the beginning and the end. That's, That's editing audio, but if you want something produced... You're probably going to have to do it yourself or hire somebody with a really good skill set. And that's different. That's an entirely different skill set that's also just as important and just as complex as actually conducting the show yourself. And if you're not willing to do it, you're basically just like a writer who says, I'm going to write a book but not really edit it, and I'm not going to think about what I'm writing until I'm actually writing. That's problematic, wouldn't you say? But yet most people are more than willing to run a podcast in that way. Mm. And those people fail, not surprisingly. So you really do have to be thinking, how am I going to create something over the next five years that's going to have impact? Don't do something thinking, oh, I'm going to do 10 episodes and they're going to be great because I'm so special. That's a kind of modern phenomenon that I think a lot of people are doing because the barrier to entry is low. And those same people would probably never think I should have a YouTube channel or I should write a book and see what happens. Those people, podcasting seems to be uniquely suited to people farting around and not really doing anything. So be willing to put in the work, you know, the prep work, be willing to put in the work post-production, and you might actually have a product people want. Uh, A lot of people try to market their show as in cramming it down other people's throat, thinking that's how you build audience, and it really isn't. I know a lot of people that are really good marketers that have medium-sized podcasts, and they grow so slowly because they have churn. You know, they market so hard, they buy ads, they've got a great email list and all that stuff. But they've got a bunch of churn, and the reason they have that churn is because people get sick of listening to the same stinking low bar, low brow show, and they unsubscribe. And so, if you've got a bucket with holes in the bottom, it's better, in my opinion, to plug the holes first before you figure out how you can put more water in there. But marketers, especially the internet marketer crowd, they don't care. They're just like, I, I can funnel more and more traffic to it. The problem is, if you're funneling all that traffic and those ear that attention to a leaky bucket in my opinion, it's a waste of time. You should spend that time creating a higher quality product that people want to keep listening to.
1: That's great advice. I like your cadence with your social media presence, too. Your hashtag shower thoughts and, you know, what you're doing on Twitter and you engage with your audience there uh, beyond just the podcast. And then I like on the podcast how you engage people to, uh, you know, engage with you, so to speak. You do the toolbox episodes, the mini episodes, how did you come up with that concept too? Because I, I, I think it's a great
0: idea. The mini the Fan Mail Friday started as a result of just tons of people not uh, or tons of people listening to the show and writing in with opinions and I can it just it seemed like there was just not enough time for me to read those on interviews and it didn't make sense. Like here's an interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson, or here's an interview with Shaq, and now three unrelated random listener letters. Right. Uh, All right, I'm done with this. It's already an hour. So I started to do whole episodes of Just Fan Mail on Fan Mail Friday. And then Minnesota Monday was great because there's all these cool tips and hacks and ideas and things like that that don't fit into regular shows. So one of the tips I gave recently was, Treat everyone new that you meet like you're going to know them for the rest of your life. Not that they're going to become your best friend, not that they're going to become somebody you work with or that you talk to every day, but just somebody you're going to know for the rest of your life, and it will change if you're feeling like I can be short with this airline employee because I'm tired and I'm jet-lagged and I don't care and I'm never going to see him again. You don't know that. The one time you treat somebody medium slash poor because you think you're never going to see them again, you know, you'll see that person again and you'll feel embarrassed, and it costs you nothing to just realize, I might see this person again next week. And if you come in with that mindset, you'll treat people much more differently, and you'll have much more natural charisma and understanding, and you'll treat them in a way that that really gets them to remember you positively. And that's a great thing. That fixes first impressions right away. But that, that tip doesn't really fit in with an interview with General Stanley McChrystal when he's talking about leadership. I mean, it would just sort of seem out of place and stuffed in there. So we tried to to figure out where to put those, and doing entire episodes with random life hacks didn't work very well either, so we started with Mini-Sode Monday, where it's just a quick hit every Monday, five to seven minutes long with a real tactic like that that's solid.
1: No, it's very smart. Just a few minutes left before I let you go. Uh, You're an expert with social dynamics. Many of your guests talk about that on your podcast. You've got the boot camps and the live conversations but I've listened to your podcast and you said when you were younger like when you were in high school you were kind of an introvert and when you listen to your podcast you don't come across as an introvert when did the switch flip for you where you became a little bit more outgoing or are you really an introvert in your free time but when you're on your podcast you sound like an extrovert
0: yeah it's basically I'm an introvert in my free time You know, introvert and extrovert are two separate things, right? Introvert means – sorry, are different than what people normally think. Introvert and extrovert, those just mean how you recharge. Extroverted people don't – it doesn't mean that they're more apt socially. It just means that they relax with other people. Introvert means that those people like me time to recharge. And I like me time to recharge, like reading and things like that. But it doesn't mean that one sort of subgroup – has more propensity or or a bigger capability to be social and the other one doesn't. It just means that they might have more practice because they enjoy being social more and they do it more. So for me, I've just learned extroverted skill sets like public speaking, presenting, hosting a show, interviewing. But yeah, when I have time off, I don't say, oh, i got to be around a bunch of people now. I usually think, good, I can chill at home and relax or I can watch a movie with my wife, or I can read a book, or I can go somewhere and, you know, get some work done. That's me relaxing. And it doesn't mean I don't have friends or don't want friends. And it doesn't mean I don't watch the game with a bunch of people and have folks over. It just means that my natural default state is more solitary than it is social.
1: You've traveled all over the world. Uh, I see in your bio, you've been kidnapped twice. What the hell?
0: Yeah, those are long long stories, so maybe we save those for a different time. Yeah. But essentially one one I was 20 and was, I was in Mexico, I got in a fake taxi, and the other time I was 25 and I was in Serbia and um I was an unregistered un basically an undocumented foreign agent that had uh that that got on the police radar because I wasn't registered telling them where I was at all times and that just basically means spy in those com those communist or former communists, former socialist countries. So um, they basically decided that I needed to get arrested and interrogated, and they found me. And so that was the second time. So it was a kidnapping in that I got arrested, but it wasn't a formal arrest. I basically didn't get brought to a police station.
1: But I imagine, you know, I've traveled the world too, and I always say to people, and maybe this sounds condescending, but, like, until you've traveled around the world and seen other cultures and other countries... Like, you don't really have a great perspective. It's pretty narrow. And I hear when you're interviewing people, I hear that perspective of yours come across in your interviews that you do have a global perspective. Would you say that that's something that has been important to you to travel and learn about other cultures and places in the world in order to bring that perspective to your work and your audience?
0: Yeah, definitely. Bringing perspective to the Art of Charm podcast and all that, the stories that I have are often, you know, mindset things that I've got from, yeah, a a long time of living overseas or, you know, working in another country, working for the State Department, studying in another country that was socialist back in the day, that kind of thing, yeah. Those inform my whole life, especially. Uh, And definitely, definitely all along the lines of, of. The things that we talk about on The Art of Charm have been shaped large part by me living abroad.
1: Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm. Find him online at theartofcharm.com or on Twitter at theartofcharm. Find the podcast on iTunes and many other platforms. You know, like I said at the top of the show, I don't listen to a ton of other podcasts. I'm a busy guy like you are. But someone recommended your podcast, and I am hooked to it. I listen to every episode now. So great job. Keep up the good work. And I really appreciate you making the time for us this week. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast, mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They're the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. The Sports PR Summit Social Media Workshop returns to San Francisco on Wednesday, July 26, 2017 at Twitter headquarters, an invite-only venue. The full-day invite-only event for senior digital and social media professionals working in sports provides an opportunity to hear and learn from top media, sports, and technology brands. Attendees leave with a better understanding of how to plan and distribute digital content, engage fans online, and monetize their efforts in the sports digital environment. View the event schedule and register to attend at sportsprsummit.com. I hope to see you on July 26th. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes. Type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Bucher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter. So when you see the real thing, you'll be well prepared and comfortable with a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to EverythingIsOnTheRecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EverythingIsOnTheRecord.com. You can call us today at 503 701 Two two one five.